Our world grew less naive by the day as we quickly adjusted to living in the Beverly Hills of Europe. With time on our hands, the four of us eagerly set forth on our southern adventure, with me at the wheel. Overwhelmed when I saw Milan's magnificent, towering Gothic cathedral, I screeched to a halt in the middle of heavy afternoon traffic. Oblivious to the car horns, Vespas darting in and out, and shouting and gesturing drivers, I transcended above and beyond, meeting God head-on and yelling, Holy cow! The screams of my passengers yanked me back into the material world, and I somehow maneuvered the car in an appropriate enough manner to soothe both my fellow travelers and the hurried and harried drivers around me. Through days of sightseeing and shopping and failing to sight any signs of Mussolini, I appeased myself by eating pasta bolognese for lunch and dinner, washed down with Coca-Cola, until we reached Venice. We shunned the crowded Vaporetto for a gondola. The Grand Canal proffered a dead kitten and the profumo of sewer, but that first ill impression dissolved upon arrival at the Palazzo Gritti, once the home of the Doge Andrea Gritti in 1525, and for many years serving as the residence of Vatican officials, visiting kings and queens and other dignitaries. We needed little knowledge of the history of the city to be drawn into its mysterious and romantic flavor. Dark canals as streets, dungeons to visit, passionate art, divine food, Moorish architecture. Even the pigeons in Piazza San Marco begged with special grace. There we discovered the Florian, and I have returned habitually to this ristorante, my favorite visit being the unique celebration of the 21st birthday of Susan Holland, a Hockaday classmate's daughter, one of those small-world situations where we met on a study program. I had my own little room at the Gritti. I climbed into the four-poster bed. With a great need to change my diet of two weeks, I summoned room service for dinner, and I had to admit, Bambo's elegant travel style was indeed infectious— Preparing to ascend the high four-poster bed to dine, I was stunned by piercing screams from the canal below. I managed to balance a plate of roast chicken and fresh peas like a waitress on roller skates as I slid across the marble floor to witness what I thought was surely a murder. The view below held a mysterious absence of people, but my sudden physical maneuvering aroused my innards sufficiently, and I knew I was going to live. Bambo's experience was not so happy. One morning she discovered blonde and brown hair mingled with stripes of gray. I giggled. She fought tears. It was past time to return to Geneva and the magic hair coloring of Julio. With no speed limits, we were back in Switzerland in several days. We dropped our friends in Lausanne, but were too late for Julio. I tried to reassure Bambo saying that her hair really wasn't too bad and that maybe striped hair could be a trend. The next morning, she rushed to the hair salon, plunked herself into Julio's chair, and said, Remember me? Do just what you did last time. Back at the Duron, sitting on the bed and absorbed in mail, drenched in homesick tears, I was startled by a desperate knock and opened the door to a hooded stranger swathed in a cape. I feared that a gypsy had gotten past the watchful eyes of the doorman and concierge. No, it was Bambo. 
Julio had dyed her hair coal black with eyebrows to match. He had quaffed her in a stark Brigitte Bardot beehive that towered six inches above her forehead. She was a nightmare in black, a foreshadowing of Vampira. After I recognized the dark woman and let her pass, she headed for the mirror. Slowly craning forward, then tipping her head from side to side, she stared at herself in combined wonder and dismay. Sighing proved beneficial. Crying was pointless. Guttural moans rose to piercing cackles and then eased into hysterical laughter as she fell backward onto the bed. Nothing is certain, she giggled.